0: Sunday, bye. Sunday, bye. Um, do you ever get like those zits that just insist on being a whitehead no matter what you do? Cause this one. That one? I mean I just exercised it, <laughs> but it keeps coming back. Stop it. I need a priest is what I mean.
1: <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs>
0: I just start oozing. Oh my god, you guys. Um, <laughs> you were recording. <laughs> yeah, I've been recording this whole time. Oh. This whole 45 seconds. Um hi. Oh. Hello.
1: <laughs> this is uh, doing crime and that's cat over there. And I'm here with the only thing holding me back from committing, uh, homicidal mania, Amelie. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's actually kind of a, a real compliment, Yeah, though. like, p- I'm, please. like, a little, I'm a little disappointed that you said something nice about me. <laughs> I have to, I have to keep, I have to, uh, to switch it up every now and That's again. That's true.
0: You do keep me on my toes. Your toast? My toast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am, um... You just wear... I'm just spread, though. I'm not actual butter.
1: <laughs> oh, you're... I can't... You're I can't of, believe it's not butter. But you're, like, not... You're, like, one of the knockoffs. Like, yeah, this like, isn't butter? I Question honestly
0: mark? believe this is not butter.
1: <laughs>
0: margarine. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> flies do not like this. Okay, so, um... How Wait, was flies you know, really? really don't
1: like margarine?
0: That's... Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. And flies like dead bodies.
1: So, I mean, like, why do you trust fly's opinion? You know... Honestly. (laughs) You know what's really gross? Rotting meat. Molasses. What's wrong with molasses? It's disgusting. What? It's like maple syrup's evil twin brother. Sweet molasses.
0: (laughs) No. Did you know that brown sugar is just regular sugar with molasses in it? Yeah, that's good. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Did you know that... Uh, you can keep your brown sugar soft and not going hard by, uh, putting a like one of those little like dishes that like like terracotta dishes that like terracotta pots sit down into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just put one of those in there. Hmm. Did or, you like, know you can keep slice? your
0: weed nice and not dry by just putting a little piece of bread in there or an orange peel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Life hacks.
0: Listen, <laughs> I learned that. And then my weed just tasted like bread. <laughs> like,
1: what? wow. Like, you put like. That was in
0: my, my younger days, people. I don't partake.
1: You put like. In, like anymore. But. Like other weed jars. Like one has a pickle in it. <laughs> and like the other one has some like ketchup mustard. I have a weird
0: lab. I just wear a lab coat all the time. <laughs>
1: you're like, let's see. My if eyes are just make, always red. Let's <laughs> see if we can make like a hot dog blunt. <laughs> <laughs> and you just like layer it dude i know let's do it's it it's kind of lit it's like, kind
0: of a good idea it's
1: kind of fucking you guys good. i
0: can't do that but will you please do that test it out if
1: anyone right in, in.
0: Colorado, mm, yeah. colorado colorado colorado
1: california washington washington, washington. <laughs> Was- what? What is this Washington D.C.? <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> my name's Myrna. <laughs> where are you from? Wisconsin. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Wisconsin. <cannot-son. laughs> uh, no. Hey, Dad.
0: <laughs> um, I actually like Wisconsin. It's it's a beautiful
1: state. That's where my dad's from. I know. Yeah, he's from. If anybody lives in Superior, Wisconsin, that's where. Do my... you know Mr. Fidali? <laughs> Do you know any Fidalis? There's like a shitload up there. You know a lot of Swedes. You know a lot of go there. A lot of oh Swedes and Polacks. That's just where they fucking they hang flock out. to. God, it's just the that's land so of sparse. the tall and dumpy.
0: <laughs> but the combination of the two, Captain Planet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what? What? What is? <laughs> like the Swedish people would have that Captain Planet's the one with the kids with the rings, the right? Earth. The the yeah. power. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, the Swedish kid would have like, I have the power of fire, but then like, the Polish kid would be like, I've got fucking heart. <laughs> what do I do with this? You get in the friend zone is <laughs> what you do. <laughs> hey, hey, you're one of Captain Planet's little <laughs> proteges. Like, are you like the lightning kid or like the water kid? <laughs> No, I'm I'm the, I'm the heart I'm a heart kid. I carry their towels mostly. That would absolutely be my job. Uh, be lit though, yeah. I mean, you'd have the easiest job. Yeah, you're lucky. Like, come here, get over here. Don't you fucking love your job, heart boy? Yeah. Wash my balls. <laughs> Yeah, Jeff, with your fucking fire ring, I could have pulled the fire ring, you know what? But I didn't suck Captain Planet's dick. Integrity, pride—that's what I have. That's what landed the me the whole Pride, Polish pride, <laughs> right here.
0: There's alliteration, so you know it's
1: true. I have been called the uh, the pride of Warsaw. <laughs>
0: I'm trying a new beer tonight. Are you? Not to get all true crime garage on you. But um, it's a hide and seek Hefeweizen.
1: This hide and seek Hefeweizen has nutty under (laughs) chocolatey bitters.
0: (laughs) Nutty under chocolatey bitters?
1: It sounds like dirty balls. <laughs> us here us here at doing crime guest bedroom given four out of five point eight bottle caps. <laughs> I was, we both listen to no don't
0: <laughs> is that gonna be your recommendation because um, if not then it's gonna be mine oh well i was gonna say that it was like both of ours oh okay, okay. we'll have it be both of ours but at the both. end <laughs> both. we have to wait till the end okay to okay. the end um so today we're doing um murders international since we did alaska last week now we have to go out of this country yeah we gotta find some. good dive into the heart of another one. <clears 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 <throat> another couple. Do you Do, do you, you want to go mm, first? Kind of. Okay. Just because I know I'm familiar with yours, and uh, it's it's, well, it's real bad. Mine. So you want me to go last? Oh fuck, that's right. Well, see, mine's kind of bad too. So yours have a lot of like child death. Kinda. This is. The I trend. mean. <laughs> it's not as. It's not as here. Bad well, as yours. we'll rock paper scissors. Okay, right? ready. Rock, two, pa- Oh wait,
1: on three or on shoot? On shoot. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Okay, right. you go first. All right. Um, just for those at home, Amelie <laughs> shot scissors. <laughs> I shot paper. Therefore, she is the victor. <laughs> I
0: am the victor. <laughs> I am bleeding. <laughs> I'm, I'm bleeding. <laughs> therefore making me the victor. Kung Pao. Kung. Always back to Kung <laughs> Pao. Always a good move.
1: Always a good go-to. That's good. Yeah. You want to try it?
0: Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Your kid's been puking. You going know, to give it a try, I guess. Just drink it, that
1: whole beer. That is good. Yeah. It's, it's... Mm. It's Hefeweizen. It's, I just like Hefeweizen. It kind of tastes like an IPA.
0: What? You're insane. IPAs kind of taste like gym this socks. This is St. James, Missouri. I think IPAs taste like perfume. I could see that. Perfumey gym socks. Oh, like, like if... Oh, Catherine. <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> Catherine Bobatherin. Catherine Bobatherin. <laughs> um, IPAs to me kind of taste like, I could see the perfume, so like a modge of ours mm-hmm. together. Like if you go to the gym mm-hmm. one day and then like you can't find socks and like all you have are your crusty gym socks and you're mm-hmm. like, fuck it, I'll forbreeze them. Like, okay. It'll be fine. IPAs, for breezy gym socks. Yeah.
0: I get it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, this does not taste like that in my opinion, but yeah. it's good. Okay, so this week I just wanted to I don't know why but Belgium's been on my brain for some reason. I think cuz I want to visit there when we move to that other place that we might be moving to. Um so I found Mark, Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> it's like borders Belgium. Yeah. Um Mark Dutrel I've never heard of him. Me neither. But apparently, it's a huge thing over there in Belgium. That's like
1: their one thing. They're like chocolate, Marc Dutroux.
0: <laughs> Marc Dutroux, not a source of pride. Lindor truffles. <laughs> yeah, Marc Dutroux. <laughs> are Lindor truffles Belgian? I don't know, but they're fucking good. They're they're
1: the fucking they're best. the best. They're borderline best. You want to get to my heart? Give me some fucking dark chocolate Lindor. You truffles. guys send
0: us. Via email. Some Lindor truffles. <laughs> Send us your Lindor Truffles gift certificates. Yeah. Okay. So he was born in this place that I can't pronounce. It's I X E L L E S. Ezels? Hmm? Belgium? That feels right. Yeah. Um, I purposely handwrote this so you can't read it over my shoulder. Really? No. Oh. But I did really. I you I, do it in like court reporter like code. Oh, like, like they're all like zodiac shorthand. symbols. <laughs> like it's crazy. All right. So, but um, he was born in Belgium in November, or I'm sorry, on November sixth, nineteen fifty-six. Oldest of five siblings, and both parents were teachers. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, I meant to look this up and I never did because they immigrated
1: to the Belgian Congo, which what? Okay. The Belgian Congo's in Africa. That's weird. Okay. Well. It's like the Dutch East Indies. Oh.
0: They're like. Why are you suddenly good at geography? Um, I have it tattooed on my forearm. You like, you had to take a test and instead of just writing on pen, like you went and got it tattooed. So it's like forever cheat sheet. Yeah. It was like. Just for
1: that one test. Just one geography question. (laughs) I didn't have enough money to do the whole test. Okay, anyway,
0: but they returned to Belgium at the start of the Congo crisis when Dutro Dutro was only four. And then his parents separated in 71, and he lived with his mom. So when he was 19, he got married and had two children, and he got divorced in 1983. Great year. That was the year I was born. I could. Yeah, you know, I was. I, have I was a, an affinity for 1983. I was like debating on whether it was a
1: great year,
0: <laughs> but um, anyway, he had been having an affair with this Michelle Martin chick, bitch, and then he eventually married her in 1989 while they were both in prison. Romantic, mm. but they had three children together in prison. The kids also had- got sent to prison. <laughs> like that's part of belgian law yeah they're like like, if you have parents
1: like are where are in prison where are is um you have to go (laughs) it's like being born in america you're automatically an american citizen yeah you automatically are a criminal (laughs) like the hospital even like instead of putting you in like the little newborn onesies that they do they just put you in like tiny orange jumpsuits
0: Instead of like the little like cut like cuff thing that they put on, they just put on like little baby tiny handcuffs. Little handcuffs.
1: Aww, it's, like, oh, it's
0: actually kind of cute. <laughs> I know. Oh, okay, um, that did not happen. Um, Dutroux was an electrician, um, often unemployed.
1: Surprise, surprise. He had a
0: long criminal history. Because
1: Belgian Belgium doesn't have a lot of electricity.
0: It's just all wind turbines now. No, not really. this was in the 80s anyway. Um, but he had a long criminal history in car theft, muggings, and drug dealing. and he was also involved in a stolen car trade which he hel- which helped him live in relative comfort. It was like luxury cars. Um, <laughs> he owned seven small houses, most of them vacant and he used three of them as places to torture the girls that he kidnapped. C- cool.
1: I mean, if somebody owns seven houses... Why isn't he renting some... That's Donald Trump. Why isn't... (laughs) No, but, like, why isn't he renting them out? Like, he's obviously invested in real... (laughs)
0: That's why, if somebody has a lot of rental properties, just, like, beware. You're like,
1: mm, torturer. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, um, in the house that he lived in, he constructed a concealed dungeon in the basement quick sidebar. Uh when I lived in East Dayton, they had like these older houses. They were the best though. Like they had like attics that were like rooms and they mm-hmm. were they were the best, but their basements were creepy as fuck and every single one that I knew, like every person I knew that lived down there, they had a little tiny room that had a door with like a peephole in it. Ew. Not a peephole, but like Ew, a hole. Ew, I hate that. cut out. It's like why? Also, they all we it was like a it was like a dungeon room.
1: Also, a dungeon, right? When I think of a dungeon, a dungeon is very underground, mm-hmm. right? So they can be leaky mm-hmm. and cold.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um so damp. So damp. Always damp. Moss everywhere. Concrete. Algae mm-hmm. to the moon. <laughs> so was he digging further down was it a sub basement? No. It was just in his basement. Oh well that's That's no fun. Um, but, so he,
0: hidden behind a massive concrete door disguised as a shelf, there was a cell that was seven feet long, three feet wide, and five feet high. Okay. Just a little, just a little guy. I'm (coughs) flipping the page. When you handwrite things, it seems a lot longer than it really is. Yeah. This is ASMR.
1: Is it? Yeah, flipping the page. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well,
0: the guy cut my nails down way low, so I can't, like, do the clicky thing for you. <laughs> um, in February of 1986, Dutreau and Martin, that's his wife, um, they were arrested for abducting and raping five young girls together. Mm. See? Isn't that weird that I did this
1: one and you're doing yeah. the other one? Okay. I think we have a little <clears throat> bit of that, like, twin telepathy happening. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but One of us needs to die th- so the <laughs> other can live a normal life. Um, I've
0: had a good life, so
1: i <laughs> die. Your boob already tried to take you out. That's true. Now it's all gnarled. Just know that I have <laughs> shooters out here. <laughs> um,
0: in April that same year, Dutro was sentenced to 13 and a half years in prison while Martin was sentenced to five. But Dutro was granted parole in April of 92 because of his good behavior. Um, after he was released, his own mother wrote a letter to the prison director stressing her fear that he was keeping young girls captive in his house, and her letter went ignored. If, hmm. if somebody's mom is like, yo, I think my son's a disgusting Freak like piece of shit.
1: Hey, um... <laughs> hey! Excuse me. Cops? <laughs> yeah, my kid is torturing people yeah. in my house. Could someone just... I don't know. Like, no, in his own house. <laughs> oh, but yeah, like, still. Like, just, like, on your lunch break. <laughs> whenever you you've got a free pop moment. Pop over and give it a. I check. guess, like, but also you like the the cops can't just well I don't know about Belgium but like if some if that were to happen over here uh they they can't just like go into someone's if house. you're on parole they can oh I forgot he was on yeah. parole paroled okay well actually
0: I don't know about Belgium maybe not probably though um after his release he managed to convince a psychiatrist that he was psychiatrically disabled and that resulted in him getting a government pension good um, and then he was also prescribed sleeping pills and sedatives. So, Better. you know, he needs those, and he used those later on his victims uh, Good. to do them. Right. Okay. So, here's where um, the whole international crime thing, I'm always kicking myself because there's, like, names that I have to pronounce. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. I'm going to try my best. That's why I went with a <clears> British <throat> one. I, was, I almost did that. But anyway, um, Julie, Julie Lejeune and Melissa Rousseau, those ones aren't too bad. They were both eight years old and they were oh, kid no. Yeah, I know. They were kidnapped together on June twenty-fourth, nineteen ninety-five, and imprisoned in Dutroux's cellar.
1: Oh, I was only a couple months old. Yeah. You were alive though. Yeah. I was here.
0: Um and okay, so they were imprisoned in his cell and then they were repeatedly sexually abused and then he would um record it and like make tapes of it. Oh, mm-hmm. come on. Um, on August 22nd, 1995, same year, Dutro kidnapped 17-year-old Anne Marshall and 19-year-old uh, Effie L- Lambrex. I'm sorry. Can I just say I love the name Effie? I knew a girl named Effie in high school, and she was awesome. I bet she's doing great things. She was this beautiful Indian
1: chick. I bet she's like... You know what? I bet she's like an exotic veterinarian. Mm. Her husband... Is a cardiologist. Mm-hmm. They have three beautiful children. I bet. And oh they... yeah,
0: she's extremely successful. She was like seriously, model, beautiful, like like, just like gorgeous. She like. She goes to yoga every every mm-hmm. morning. I kind of want to look her up on Facebook right now. Oh, we'll do it. Okay. Anyway, um, so okay, back to the fucking horror show. So they were abducted while they were camping, and um. He by was, themselves, They were two. Uh, no, they were on a eight, camping trip. She she's oh, seventeen okay. and nineteen. I mean, oh, okay, yeah, it's weird, like the age jump. Yeah, eight years old. To, okay, anyway, um, and he was most likely assisted by his accomplice, Michelle Le Livre. That's what I'm going to call him. Le Livre. Le Livre. Le Livre. Uh, since Le livre. since Dutro's dungeon was already. Holding Lejeune and Rousseau, he chained the two older girls to a bed in a room in his house, and his wife was fully aware of everything that was going on, obviously. Mm. Um, so later in 95, Dutraire was arrested for his involvement in the stolen luxury car racket, and he was held for three months. This is, mm-hmm. like, this is super fucked. Um, Uh, Sorry, so uh, the police searched his house on December 13th and again six days later in relation to the car theft charge. And during the search, Lejeune and Rousseau were still alive in the basement judge dungeon. But in spite of their cries actually being heard, the police failed to find them. Oh my Mm -hmm. God. So
1: they're like, "Mm, you know,
0: we hear you.
1: We can't find, we're going to go. Have been, it
0: might have been like a faint, you know, like it oh, might yeah. have been able to be explained away. I don't know. It didn't go into detail and I didn't further research it because I was handwriting this shit. But, um, so did, okay. Detro's wife allegedly fed, uh, his dog, his German shepherds, but she didn't follow his orders to feed the girls and they both starved to death. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Yeah, man and uh they were later buried in bags in the back garden. That like I don't know why but that just I mean of course it's terrible any kind of that yeah but, that's a oh that's a God. different
1: level of cuz when you hear that you just put yourself in yeah man you're that's slow you're chained in yeah, it's like a slow, torturous. Unless they also like died of dehydration, because that takes generally. That takes around three days. Yeah. Which I'm not saying is oh, that's three days. Yeah. I... <laughs> that's like the longest. Three but days. it's it takes around <clears throat> three months to die yeah. from starvation. Mm-hmm. So. I don't Dude, know. Dude, and
0: you know what's really weird? I was noticing since I was actually handwriting this out, the number three is like just strewn all throughout this. It's really weird. but Okay, so two months after his release, Dutro, with the help of LaLivre, kidnapped 12-year-old Sab- sorry Sabine Dardenne while she was on her way to school on May twenty-eighth, 1996, and she was kept in his basement dungeon. <clears throat> sorry. On August 9th, 1996, Dutro and LaLivre kidnapped 14-year-old Letitia del hez while she was walking home from a public swimming pool and this time they were there was an eyewitness <clears throat> and they saw his van and got part of his license plate so dutro his wife and la were arrested on august 13th 1996 the police searched the house again and again they didn't find anything and then two days later um both uh Dutro and Lever confessed, and they led the police to the dungeon where Dardenne and Delhez were found alive on August 15, 1996. So they were rescued. Good. Fuck yeah. On August 17, 1996, Dutro led police to another one of his houses where the bodies of Julie Lejeune and Melissa Rousseau and one of his accomplices, Bernard Weinstein, were found in the garden. This part's fucking weird. Dutroux said that he crushed Weinstein's testicles until he gave him money and then drugged him and buried him alive. Oh, my God. Dude. Ugh. <sighs> um, Later, he told police where to find the bodies of Anne Marshall and Effie Lambrex, uh, and they were located on September 3rd, 1996, buried under a shack next to a house owned by Dutroux, and Weinstein had lived in that house for three years. So, obviously, he was part of something. Hundreds of commercial adult pornographic videos, along with a large number of homemade sex films that Dutro made with his wife were recovered from his properties. Not surprising. Yeah. Uh, So Dutro's trial began seven and a half years later in 2004. He was tried for the murder of Anne Marchelle, Effie Lambrex, and Bernard Weinstein. I don't know why they didn't charge him with the murders of those two eight-year-old girls.
1: Um, Maybe
0: because they starved while he was not like he was in
1: prison. um, I don't know Uh, because I guess with like mass, you know, mass murders like this, I think that they mostly go for the ones that they know that they can definitely they can definitely get and then (coughs) well they have the bodies
0: of the little girls
1: right, but the he'll already be away for like. And they know that he's guilty of that, and yeah. he'll already be away for, like, 600 years. So, like, there's... Well, actually... Oh, oh no. No. Um... <laughs> oh, no, Belgium!
0: <laughs> no, no, it's, it's not that bad, but... Um, so, he admitted to the abductions, but he denied all three killings. Even though he already confessed to Weinstein's murder, so Martin and Lelivre—that's his wife and his accomplice—were charged as accomplices. Sorry, uh, throughout the trial, Dutro continued to insist that he was a part of a Europe, European-wide pedophile ring with accomplices among uh, police officers, businessmen, doctors, and even high-level politicians. Which I honestly, I mean, maybe, yeah.
1: <laughs> you I know? mean, I don't <clears throat> doubt that that
0: exists in. Yeah, like countries. I don't know if he
1: really is, but I mean,
0: um, shit, maybe. Leave a
1: comment down if y'all have heard of Pizzagate, that conspiracy. We won't talk about okay. it here. Okay, I don't know it. Um, after three days of dis- uh, deliberation, verdicts were returned
0: on June 17, 2004, and all three were found guilty in all that they were charged for. So, yep. guilty all around. Good. <clears throat> Here's the fucking sh- kind of shitty part. Damn it. The death penalty was abolished in Belgium in 1996. So if he had been tried the same year, there's a possibility he could have gotten the death penalty. But um, anyway, so on June 22nd, 2004, Dutro received the maximum sentence of life, while Martin received 30 years and the Livre 25. Um, on August 19th, 2012, about 2,000 people in Brussels demonstrated against Michelle Martin's possible early release, and she was paroled 13 years into her sentence. So she's out.
1: Um, <clears throat> I hope... Vitro is not. I hope her life is so miserable, and I hope she slowly dies from something, like, terminal, but, like... Painful. Painful. Yeah. Like, pancreatic cancer. Yeah. She, um, she actually, they sent
0: her to a nunnery, and, um, the nuns, like, didn't really care for her. I mean, they didn't, like, take care of her, but they didn't, like, neglect her either. Mm-hmm. But then the nunnery closed down, and, uh, I'm trying... I'm basing this off memory now, but... Like, one of the judges had, um, like, a farmhouse or something that he converted into an apartment, and she moved into it. Hmm. It's real weird. I don't know. There There was a lot of, like, controversy around it. And, dude, this guy, I need to show you a picture. Like, you just look at him, and you're like, yes, pedophile. Like, the fucking cliche stash, big, weird glasses, just, like... Creepy fucking drives a van. Stay away from that man. Like, we've we've talked about
1: the the moral gray area that we have with the death penalty. Mm-hmm. But I wholeheartedly yeah believe that just destroy this man.
0: Yeah, he was fucking terrible. And like the, I don't know why it just it. I mean I know why it's fucking creepy, but when there's a a spouse that like. Helps yeah, or is I, an, it's so fucking weird. Like I don't know if I found out my husband was into that shit, I would immediately. But also report him
1: and. But also and they had kids together. Also, uh, there comes a degree of <clears throat> abuse with that as well. I think it's because I'm doing. My case is the Moore's murders. Uh-huh. Uh, Ian Brady and Myra mm-hmm. Hendley, and she was so devoted to him. That... I, I'm sorry, I just don't excuse that behavior. Yeah, no, I absolutely don't whatsoever. But, like, it's also, like, a degree of of obsession, kind of. Yeah. They're so obsessed with this person that they'll do anything to to make them like them. Yeah, like, I was obsessed with Mike Patton when
0: I was, like, <laughs> 17. Benton. Um... So, <clears throat> but I wouldn't have done that. Aw, oh, cripe! <laughs> Are we just using that? Are we gonna make that a thing now? Ah, ah cripe! Let's let's be trendsetters.
1: Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay. All so right. Oof. This is just from the Wikipedia off of my phone.
0: Okay. Uh, <laughs> professional podcasting.
1: Uh, so uh, the Moors. Murders were carried out by Ian Brady and Myra Hindley between July 1963 and October 1965 in and around Manchester, England. The victims were five children, aged between 10 and 17. They were Pauline Reed, John Kilbride, Keith Bennett, Leslie Ann Downey, and Edward Evans, at least four of whom were sexually assaulted. Two of the victims were discovered in graves dug on Saddleworth Moor. A third grave was discovered there in 1987, more than 20 years after Brady and Henley's trial. The body of, the f- of a fourth victim, Keith Bennett, is also suspected to be buried there. Mm. But despite repeated searches, his body still remains undiscovered. Mm-hmm. So, uh... The... Uh, The police were initially aware of only three of these killings, those of Edward Evans, Leslie Ann Downey, and John Kilbride. Uh, The investigation was reopened actually in 1985 after Brady was reported in the press as having confessed to the murders of Pauline Reed and Keith Bennett. Uh, Brady and Henley were were taken separately to Saddleworth-Moore to assist the police in their search for the graves, both by then having confessed to the additional murders. So that was in 1985. They were arrested in uh, ni- in the 1960s, but then later confessed to more murders. Mm. Get that? Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> they were characterized by the press in England as the most evil woman in, uh, well, Myra was. Characterized by the press as the most evil woman in Britain, Henley made several appeals against her life sentence, claiming she was a reformed woman and no longer a danger to society, but she was never released. She actually died in 2002, age 60, and Brady was declared criminally insane in 1985 and confined to the high-security Ashworth Hospital. Fuck Um, that. Yeah. So, he's the... I mean, I don't... This... Case just mm. this is gonna be like the most bare bones of this. There's a lot, so if you if you're if you're really interested in uh this particular case, there are a couple different shows on Netflix that have in depth like hour long uh documentaries. There are yeah. Oh, I've only heard about it on podcasts, but gosh, so rough. uh, Anyways, uh, so the full extent of Brady and Henley's crimes did not come to light until their confession in 1985, as both had then, until then maintained their innocence. Their first victim was 16-year-old Pauline Reed, a neighbor of Henley's who disappeared on her way to a dance at the British Railways Club in Gorton, Manchester, on uh, July 12, 1963. That evening, Brady told Henley that he wanted to commit his perfect murder— He told her to drive her van around the local area while he followed behind on his motorcycle. When he spotted a likely victim, he would flash his headlight, and Henley was to stop and offer that person a lift. Brady and Henley provided different accounts of this murder. So, um, they were driving down Gorton Lane. Brady saw a young girl walking towards them and uh, signaled Henley to stop which she did not do until she had passed the girl. Brady drew up alongside on his motorbike, demanding to know why she had not offered the girl a lift, to which Henley replied that she recognized her as Marie Ruck, a near neighbor of her her mother. Shortly after 8 p.m., continuing down Foxmer Street, Brady spotted a girl wearing a pale blue coat and white high-heeled shoes walking away from them and once again signaled for the van to stop. Uh, Henley recognized the girl as Pauline Reed, a friend of her younger sister, Maureen. Reed it got- It like, a really small town. Yeah, it's, like, a village. Like, okay. everyone
0: kind of knows each other. So, I mean, what was she expecting, like, to not know this person? You I, know what I
1: mean? I guess she was, like, thinking, like, oh, we're just gonna, like, find a stranger. Yeah. But, like, when you know everyone by their first right. name, it's kind of hard to-
0: stranger. Weren't they, like, really big booze hounds, too? Like, didn't they... Weren't they, like, really heavy drinkers? Yeah.
1: Okay. So, this is just from... They don't have a lot of, like, background into Myra Henley and, like, Ian Brady, like, in the Wikipedia article. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it's it's honestly, like, too big of a case yeah, to do it's with, so, like... sorry. I didn't mean to, like, burning up the deets. But. No, it's fine. So, like, Myra Henley, she, like, she grew up. She's the oldest of two if I'm remembering correctly and she was always like the ugly girl this that and the other kind of like fat but not like not really by today's standards (laughs) um and Ian Brady was all he like was stereotypical serial killer like fucked with animals fire wet the bed the worst Uh, yeah and so what happened was is he took Myra Henley's virginity and she was immediately like hooked on this guy like Mm -hmm. Because he uh, showed her attention. Yeah, she, he showed her attention. And he would tell her, like, oh, I love you, but uh, I need to do this to get off. Yeah. And so, like, their sex life escalated and escalated mm-hmm. and escalated. And then he was like, I want to rape your sister. And so he she ended up, like, knocking her sister out so he could rape her. Mm. Jesus. Something like that. Ugh. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Ugh. Yeah. Either that or I'm getting that Canadian murder couple. I think that's what happened. That was it. Yeah, (laughs) we're mixing up our fucked up couples. (laughs) Um, So, uh, Reed got into the van with Henley, who then asked if she would mind helping to search for an expensive glove that she had lost on Saddleworth Moor. Reed said that she was in no great hurry and agreed. So, Henley asked Pauline. The glove thing. Right. Help me find my glove. And as a young girl, she was like, well, you're like older than me. I can't really say no. And I know you. So yeah, I know you. you, I trust you. Blah, blah, blah. At 16, Pauline Reed was older than Marie Ruck and Henley believed that there would be less of an outcry over the disappearance of a teenager than there would be over a child of seven or eight. When the van reached the moor, Henley stopped and Brady arrived shortly afterwards on his motorcycle. She introduced him to Reed as her boyfriend and said that he had also come to help find the missing glove. Henley claimed Brady took Reed onto the moor while Henley waited in the van. About 30 minutes later, Brady returned alone and took Henley to the spot where Reed lay dying. Her throat had been cut twice with a large knife. The larger of these wounds was a four-inch incision across her voice box, and the collar of Reed's coat had been deliberately deliberately pushed into this wound. He told her to stay with Reed while he fetched a spade he had hidden nearby on a previous visit to the moor to bury the body. Henley noticed that Pauline's coat was undone and her clothes were in disarray. disarray. She had guessed from the time he had taken that Brady had sexually assaulted her. Brady's account differed from Henley's. He claimed that Henley was not only there at the scene, but that she assisted him with the sexual assault on Pauline. Returning home from the moor in the van, they loaded the motorcycle into the back. Brady and Henley passed Reed's mother, Joan, accompanied by her son, Paul, searching the streets for mm. Pauline.
0: Why do we do this? Why do we cover this shit? <laughs> like, I'm like starting to be like, this is real sick. We like should, I We should just be a
1: Life Hacks podcast I know. now on. We
0: just talk about sugar and weed. Seriously. <laughs> Put bread and shit and keep it moist.
1: I don't know. Uh, Ugh, so Goddamn. So their next victim was 12-year-old John Kilbride. Uh, accompanied by Brady, Henley approached 12-year-old John Kilbride in the early evening of November twenty-third, 1963, at a market in Ashton-under-Lyne, which is a town... Hmm. Okay. Town names are real dumb in England. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and offered him a lift home on the pretext that his parents would be worried about him being out so late. Mm. With the added inducement of a bottle of sherry, Kilbride readily agreed to get into the Ford Angela car that Henley had hired. Brady told Kilbride that the sherry was at their home and that they would have to make a detour to collect it. On the way, he suggested that they take another detour to search for a glove... He said Henley had lost on the moor. When they reached the moor, Brady took the child with him while Henley waited in the car. Brady sexually assaulted Kilbride and attempted to slit his throat with a six-inch serrated blade before fatally strangling him with a piece of string, possibly shoelace.
0: You know, sorry, I gotta stop you for a second, but um you know what I find would find interesting is like a profiler, like because he his victims are so different like boys and girls like different ages and it's like well
1: that's how it is with like some pedophiles is like they don't differentiate it's all about like the power you know what i mean weird yeah i
0: mean of course it's weird to i don't know kill and rape people right but i mean it's like you there's usually like like a type or you know what i mean like there's
1: a i think a lot of these were just like crime like opportunities okay like yeah oh, like, there's a, a kid at the market by himself right. late, there's no parents around, like, it's either now or never, yeah. kind of thing. Okay. So, uh, 12-year-old Keith Bennett vanished on his way to his grandmother's house in Longsight, Manchester, early in the evening of June 16th, 1964, four days after his birthday. Henley lured him into her mini pickup, which Brady was sitting in the back of, by asking for the boy's help and loading some boxes. After which she, which she said she would drive him home. She drove by to lay by, on to a lay. <clears throat> she drove to a lay by on Saddleworth Moor, and she and Brady, as as she and Brady had previously arranged, and Brady went off with Bennett, supposedly looking for a lost glove. Henley kept watch and after about 30 minutes or so Brady reappe- reappeared alone and carrying a spade that he had hidden there earlier. If you if you don't under like in in the states we call spades like trowels like not shovels. Mm-hmm. Well like yeah a spade is a shovel just a, a pointed c- shovel. Just in case you don't know not like not like the little tiny garden shovel because right. that's what I grew up calling a spade. That in a deck of call cards. a spade a
0: spade a spade a spade <laughs> Okay, real quick, I when you said that word, like one of the street names, I remembered where I heard this the first time, and it was fucking case file. What's it? That sweet saucy Australian telling me about these fucking gruesome ass murders. Oh, nice. And you know he—that's he, the like, worst goes,
1: Australian accent. That was
0: pretty bad. But oh. he goes, he like does deep fucking dives, man. Yeah. Like it was hard to listen to. Ugh. Okay, sorry.
1: Continue. Uh, when Henley asked how he had killed Bennett, Brady said that he had sexually assaulted the boy and strangled him with a piece of string. Uh, Brady and Henley visited a fairground on the December 26, 1960, 1964, in search of another victim. Uh, and they there they noticed 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey standing beside one of the rides, When it became apparent that she was on her own, they approached her and deliberately dropped some of the shopping they were carrying close to her before asking for the girls' help to carry some of the packages to their car and then to their home. Once inside the house, Downey was undressed, gagged, and forced to pose for photograph before being raped and killed, perhaps strangled with a piece of string. Mm. Henley maintained that she went to fill a bath for the child and found the girl dead, presumably killed by Brady, when she returned. In Chris Crowley's book, Face to Face with Evil, Conversations with Ian Brady, Brady states that it was Henley who killed Downey. The following morning, Brady and Henley drove with Downey's body to Saddleworth Moor, where she was buried naked with her clothes at her feet in a shallow grave. Mm. Also, I do remember one thing from, like, one kind of, like, upsetting thing about th- that her last words were, um, like, I want my mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like <gasps> you can hear that in the videotape that they take of her. Yeah, yeah, that's I, what okay. it is. I, I want my money.
0: god damn it!
1: Uh, so on their their last victim uh, was October 6, sixty five. Brady met seventeen year old apprentice engineer Edwards Evans Edward Evans at Manchester Central Railway Station and invited him to his home at sixteen Wardle Brook Avenue in Halterslee, Cheshire where Brady beat him to death with an axe. So uh, the attack on Edward Evans was actually witnessed by Henley's 17-year-old brother-in-law, David Smith, uh, the husband of her younger sister, Maureen. The Henley family had not approved of Maureen's marriage to Smith, who had several criminal convictions, including actual bodily harm and housebreaking, first of which wounding with intent occurred when he was 11. Ooh. So uh throughout the previous year, Brady had been cultivating a friendship with Smith, who had become in awe of the older man, something that increasingly worried Henley as she felt it compromised their safety. So Ian Brady kind of took this kid under their under his wing, kind of like yeah. an a murder apprentice. Uh and this guy was just as obsessed with Ian Brady as Myra Henley was. Mm-hmm. But... So, <laughs> on the evening of uh, October 6, 1965, Henley drove Brady to Manchester Central Railway, where she waited outside in the car while he selected their victim. After a few minutes, Brady reappeared in the company of Edward Evans, to whom he introduced Henley as his sister. After they had driven back home and relaxed over a bottle of wine, Brady sent Henley to fetch her brother-in-law. When they got back to the house, Henley told Smith to wait outside for her signal, a flashing light. When the signal came, Smith knocked on the door and was met by Brady, who asked if he had come for the, mature, the miniature wine bottles. Brady led Smith into the kitchen and left him there, saying that he was going to collect the wine. A few minutes later, Smith heard a scream, followed by Henley shouting loudly for him to come and help. Smith entered the living room to find Brady repeatedly striking Evans with the flat of an axe and watched as he throttled Evans with a length of electrical cord. Evans' body was too heavy for Smith to carry to the car on his own. Brady had sprained his ankle in the struggle, so they wrapped it in plastic sheeting and put it in the spare bedroom. Smith agreed to meet Brady on the following evening to dispose of Evan's body, but on returning home and relating to Maureen what he had seen, she insisted that he called the police, which they did from a nearby phone box, bringing a screwdriver and a knife in case Brady should confront them. Mm -hmm. Smith told the police that Brady opened the door and that he said in a very loud voice for him, do you want those miniatures? I nodded. I nodded my head to say yes, and he led me into the kitchen. "'And he gave me three miniature bottles of spirits and said, "'Do you want the rest?' "'When I first walked into the house, the door to the living room was closed. "'Ian went into the living room, and I waited in the kitchen. "'I waited about a minute or two, then suddenly I heard a hell of a scream. "'It sounded like a woman, really high-pitched. "'Then the screams carried on, one after another, really loud. "'Then I heard Myra shout, "'Dave, help him!' very loud.' When I ran in, I just stood there, stood inside the living room and saw a young lad. He was lying with his head and shoulders on the couch and his legs were on the floor. He was facing upwards. Ian was standing over him, facing him with his legs on either side of the young lad's legs. The lad was still screaming. Ian had a hatchet in his hand. He was holding it above his head and he hit the lad with the left side of his head with the hatchet. I heard the blow. It was a terrible, hard blow. It sounded horrible. So, early on the morning of October 7th, 1965, shortly after Smith's call, Superintendent Bob Talbot of the Cheshire Police arrived at the back door of 16 Wardlebrook Avenue wearing a borrowed baker's overall to cover his uniform. Talbot identified himself to Henley as a police officer when she opened the door and told her that he wanted to speak to her boyfriend. Henley led him into the living room where Brady was sitting uh, was sitting up in a, a divan, riding death a uh, divin writing a note to his employer explaining that he would not be able to get into work because of his ankle inj- injury. Talbot explained that he was investigating an act of violence involving guns that was reported to have taken place the previous evening. Henley denied that there had been any violence and allowed police to look around the house. When they came to when they came to the upstairs room in which Evans' body was stored, the police found the door locked and asked Brady for the key. Henley claimed that the key was at work, but after the police offered to drive her to the employer's premise to retrieve it, uh, Brady told her to hand the key over. When they returned to the living room, the police told Brady that they had discovered a trussed up body and that he was being arrested on suspicion of murder. As Brady was getting dressed, he said, Eddie and I had a row and the situation got out of hand. Mm -hmm. Busted. Henley was not arrested with Brady, but she demanded to go with him to the police station, accompanied by her dog, Puppet, to which the police agreed. Henley was questioned about the events surrounding Evans' death, but she refused—Evans' death, but she refused to make any statements beyond claiming that it had been an accident. As the police had no evidence (laughs) that Henley was involved in Evans' murder, she was allowed to go home, on the condition that she returned the next day for further questioning. Mm -hmm. Henley was at liberty for four days following Brady's arrest, during which time she went to her employer's premise and asked to be dismissed so that she would be eligible for unemployment benefits. Well, in the office where Brady works, she found some papers belonging to him in an envelope that she claimed she did not open, which she burned in an ashtray. She believed that they were plans for bank robberies, nothing to do with the murders. On 11 October, Henley was charged as an accessory to the murder of Edward Evans and was uh, remanded at Risley, which is a prison. So, uh, blah, blah, blah. They go to trial. Yes. Uh, the trial was held over fourteen days, beginning on nineteen April, April nineteenth, nineteen sixty six, in front of Justice Fent- in front of Justice Fenton Atkinson At Atkinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, uh, such was the public interest that the courtroom was actually fitted with security screens to protect Brady and Henley. The it's pair were each charged with three murders: those of Evans, Downey, and Kilbride. As it was considered that there was by then uh, sufficient evidence to co- implicate Henley in Kilbride's death, the prosecution was led by the attorney general, uh, and Brady was defended by the liberal member of the part of Parliament. God,
0: I would fucking hate to be the person that had to defend those. Yeah,
1: well, someone's got to do it. Yeah, but, oof. Um, Brady and Henley pleaded not guilty to the charges against them. Both were called to give evidence. However, Brady was over... uh, Brady for over eight hours and Henley for six. Although Brady admitted to hitting hitting Evans with an axe, he did not admit to killing him, arguing um, that okay. <laughs> arguing that the pathologist huh. <laughs> arguing that the pathologist in his report said that Evans's death was accelerated by strangulation. Under cross examination by the prosecuting counsel, all Brady would admit was that I hit Evans with the axe. If he died from axe blows, I killed him. Henley denied any knowledge that the photographs of Saddleworth Moore found by the police had been taken near the graves of their victims. Mm -hmm. A 16-minute tape recording of Leslie and Downey on which the voices of Brady and Henley were audible were played in open court. Oh God! Henley admitted that her attitude towards the child was uh, brusque and cruel, but claimed that there was only because she was afraid that someone might hear Downey screaming. Henley claimed that Downey was... That when Downey was being undressed, she herself was downstairs, and when the pornographic photographs were taken, she was looking out the window. (laughs) What the fuck does that matter? And that when the child was being strangled, she was running a bath. None of that shit matters. On May 6th, after having deliberated for a little over two hours, the jury, the jury found Brady guilty of all three murders and Henley guilty of the murders of Downey, and, of Downey and Evans. As the death penalty for murder had been abolished while Brady and Henley were held on demand, the judge passed the only sentence that, would, that the law would allow, life imprisonment. Brady was sentenced to three concurrent life sentences and Henley was given two, plus a concurrent seven-year term for harboring Brady and the knowledge that he had murdered John Kilbride. Brady was taken to Durham Prison, and Henley was sent to Holloway Prison. In his closing remarks, uh, Atkinson described the murders as a truly horrible case and condemned the accused to, and condemned the accused as two sadistic killers of the utmost depravity. He recommended that both Brady and Henley spend a very long time in prison before being considered for parole, but did not stipulate a tariff. He stated that Brady was wicked beyond belief and that he had no reasonable possibility of reform. He did not consider the same was necessarily true of Henley, once she is removed from Brady's influence. Throughout the trial, Brady and Henley stuck rigidly to their strategy of lying, and Henley was later described as a quiet, controlled, impassive witness who lied remorselessly. Yeah. Uh, so again, they and they reopened the investigation in nineteen eighty five to find more, uh, more murder yeah. victims. Uh, so. Uh, blah blah blah. It's weird how similar our cases are. So. Um, uh, the photographs and tape recording of the torture of Leslie and Downey exhibited in court to a dis- dis- disbelieving audience and the nonchalant responses of Brady and Henley help ensure the lasting notoriety of their crimes. Brady, who had said that he did not want to be released, was rarely mentioned in the news, but Henley's gender, her repeated insistence on her innocence, followed by her attempts to secure a release after confessing her guilt resulted in her becoming a figure of hate in the national media. Her oft-reprinted photograph taken shortly after she was arrested is described by some commenters as similar to the mythical Medusa and, according to author Helen Birch, has become synonymous with the idea of feminine evil.
0: <laughs> Which is, like, I mean, I don't want to pull the feminist card right now,
1: but honestly, like, they're both equally fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's but like, I just wanted to do that one because Ian Brady actually died uh last year. Oh, did he? Yeah, he died in prison. Bye. They're both still in prison. And uh those that was like the most watered down of the Moors Murders if you really want to like take a deep dive into this uh check out I believe it's called like See No Evil The Moors Murders and I think Ugh. it can be found on Netflix. It's so it's so bad. I that's like one that I have
0: a really hard time with. Like that one, um, the toy box killer and the toolbox killers. Oh yeah. Dude, those those three are just like That's ooh.
1: well that's one thing you don't have to worry about um with like anything regarding the Moore's murders is that they they don't play the tape. Yeah. Oof. They don't they don't play the tape. For Leslie and Downing. They yeah. don't they don't do that. Mm.
0: Oh god, I'm gonna have fucking nightmares now. Um anyway, <laughs> so that's real weird that we had like kinda similar Yeah, I'm telling I, you. One of us has to die. Well, I mean I have way worse habits than you do, so it'll probably Yeah, but be. I don't
1: really have a whole lot going on right now. That's true. Yeah. Like,
0: I'm, like, looking forward to something, so... Yeah, Mm. I'm,
1: like, me, I I don't know. I'm just kind of (laughs) here. And that's not temporary at all. That's just permanent, always. Yeah, I'm just (laughs) always just going to kind of be here for forever.
0: Oh, goodness. All right, so I guess we have a dual recommendation this week but yes! only because you recommended it to me last week
1: that's the only reason I know about it because of you because I forgot I, I wanted to recommend this on last week's episode but I got so obsessed with listening to podcasts about finance that I forgot about it because <laughs> I'm a bitch is trying to save <laughs> Um, but do you want to, do you want to say it? Oh my God. Ah! Listen to Done Disappeared. By John David Booter. Oh my God. Me. John David Booter. <laughs> I'm John David. It's the, <laughs> okay. So, um, Done Disappeared is a parody podcast about, um, the, uh, the disappearance of Clara Pocket. Clara Pocket. <laughs> Clara Pocket. And if you guys listen to,
0: um... Someone knows something. That's the Payne Lindsay one. That's yeah. like the main parody. But he fucking makes fun of like all the big. True uh, crime my podcasts. favorite murder
1: true crime true garage, garage um, case file. Nancy Grace makes an mm-hmm. appearance. Um, and then all the fucking uh, all the, the sponsors.
0: Oh my god, it's so good. If you listen to those those true crime podcasts, seriously listen to it. It's so fucking good. The, um,
1: yeah, absolutely. And they're only
0: like 10 to 15 minutes yeah, long. Yeah, you
1: can, you can breeze through the entire podcast by the time, for as long as it takes you to listen to one of these. Yeah. And, dude, I, uh, tweeted something
0: at, Oh yeah. disappeared. I saw He retweeted that. it. I saw it. I was like, holy shit. Dude, thank you. <laughs> JRB.
1: J- it's me, John David Booter. Oh, John,
0: sorry, JDB, JDB.
1: John David Booter. <laughs> where my fiance Lisa left me for a t- <laughs> tennis, tennis instructor <laughs> named Oh my god, what is his name? Uh, I don't know. Just listen to it; it's
0: fucking great. Um, also, you can find us on Twitter at Doing Underscore Crime Cats at I at
1: I have Adipose. I'm at. Uh, at Amelie underscore 1010. Email us any crimes, Email cases, us. things you just want us to talk about, or just to say, hey, at uh, doing crime podcast at gmail.com. Um, Don't yeah. forget to uh, subscribe. You give, guys, us give us a five star Give us a five
0: star review, please. It's been a while. It's time. It is time. It's time. We appreciate all of your listens, but just take like three minutes. Give us a five star review.
1: Thank you. All right, guys, and that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for doing time with Doing Crime. Tip your bartender. Bye. Bye-bye.